0: I was flipping through the channels one night and I dropped into the middle of a movie where a guy was walking rapidly down the streets of Manhattan with all the commotion and cab horns and stuff like that. And he was talking on his phone. I didn't know quite what the movie was about yet. And then suddenly the camera zoomed out and showed the skyline of Manhattan. And I gasped because right there dominating the skyline were the twin towers of the World Trade Center. Now, imagine that you had been there at the ribbon-cutting of the World Trade Center in 1973. And you're standing there, gazing up at these impossibly tall buildings, 110 stories, and they're sleek. They're magnificent. They're actually sheathed in aluminum alloy. They just radiate power and wealth. And if we Keep imagining the guy next to you there in the crowd says, Hey, buddy. and You go, No, no, not now. I'm trying to watch the ribbon cutting. It's like, No, I'm telling you, in 28 years, there's not going to be one beam left on top of another. And you'd be thinking, Why do they not keep these people away from the ribbon cuttings? Right? (laughs) I am not some crazy person who listens to conspiracy thinking. But exactly 28 years later, September 11, 2001, I remember I was sitting in my dentist chair, and I could hear the dentist office radio saying, we're getting such a strange story from New York. A small private plane appeared to fly into the World Trade Center. Well, within hours, as we all know, both of those proud towers melted like ice cream and vaporized. Now, if you can feel the shock of that, you can definitely feel the shock of this, Mark 13, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, look at those massive stones. These are amazing buildings. They're magnificent. And you talk about massive. We have one stone from the temple that is 44 feet wide, so about the width of this room, 11 feet feet high like two of me or something and 15 feet thick that's one stone and the walls of the temple many of them are covered with gold so josephus the ancient historian said when the sunlight would come up in the east and hit that building you couldn't bear to look at it it was magnificent and jesus says well you see all these great buildings not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. Which sounds impossible. That temple is the center of their life. Three times a year, they're going there for festivals. It's the center of the government. It's the center of the banking system and the financial system that all resides there in the temple. And that's all coming down? Really? Really? So Jesus's four closest apostles, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, pull them aside, and they go, when? When is, when is all that going to happen? And Jesus actually tells them. It's in Mark 13, verse 30, which I don't know if that verse is printed in your bulletin, but he says, before this generation passes away. Now, a generation is usually considered like 40 years, Often, anyway, And sure enough, just 37 years later, the Roman army legions break through Jerusalem's walls, march into the temple, strip off all the gold which they used to pay for the construction of the Colosseum, take 50,000 Jewish people as slaves whom they forced to build the Colosseum. So the next time you're in Rome, you're looking at a death trap made from a death trap. And finally, the Roman soldiers burn and batter that magnificent temple until it looks like ground zero. Now, all of this matters for us because while Jesus is telling these four disciples about the end of their world, he adds and expands from there to tell all of his disciples for all time about the end of the world. That time when The clock runs out, and people will see the Son of Man coming in great power and glory. But there's one big difference. Jesus won't tell us when he's coming back. (laughs) He knew precisely when the temple would come down, and he told his followers. But he says he does not know when this bigger event of his return will happen. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels. Not even the Son, at least in his earthly ministry. But only the Father. So no one knows. But as Christians, we naturally want to know. And so books have been written and movements have been started and none of much has happened good from that because we're never going to get the answer. (laughs) We ask when... And Jesus has, tells us not when, he tells us how to be ready whenever. We want the timetable, he gives us a survival guide. So what's in the guide? What does Jesus say here that you and I need to do to be ready when he returns? Because he will. Well, uh, let me read uh, a series of Jesus' commands in this chapter, and you tell me. Okay, watch out, be on your guard, be on your guard, be on guard, be alert, keep watch, keep watch, watch. Now, is there anyone here who's not clear? <laughs> So the only question is, what are we supposed to watch out for? And uh, let me walk you through that. The first set of watchouts Jesus gives are for external dangers, things outside of us, things we cannot control, and yet are a threat to our being ready for his return. Uh, verse 5, for example, Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, Because many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Many will come, and many will be deceived. People will try to dupe you. They will try to take you in. A lot of people will fall for it. Now you go, how is that possible? Well, whenever there are wars, earthquakes, and famines, which Jesus says are like preliminary opening act. Uh, When everything we trust in is coming down, when bombs are falling on hospitals, people will come along and say, I'm the answer, follow me. I can give you security and trust me. When the Roman armies were surrounding Jerusalem, they actually paid some Jewish men to be fake prophets to go through Jerusalem and say to people in the city, don't worry, God will save you if you run into the temple. For the Lord has declared in Psalm 132, this is my resting place forever. And everyone who listened to that deceiving voice and ran into the temple ended up right where Rome wanted them, dead or enslaved. Jesus, meanwhile, says the exact opposite He says, see this temple? Not one stone's going to be left on top of another, so flee, run. Go the opposite way, which the Jewish followers of Jesus did do, and they survived the fall of the city. Now, we can learn something from this. Which of these two things do people want to believe? You'll be safe right here. Or it's all coming down Run for your life. I want to do, you'll be safe right here. That's what I want to believe. The fakes always promise more relief, more success than the real thing. This is a clue. The People's Temple with Jim Jones promised the perfect community, finally. Shiny happy people promised the perfect family. The new chancellor in Germany in 1933 promised the perfect country, no longer feeling the shame and sting of the loss in, of World War I. And most people followed him, including many Christians. There were photos spread widely of the beloved Fuhrer leaving church. So Jesus says false messiahs, false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. Now here's how we survive that. Jesus says, don't believe it. Don't believe the many people promising you much. We don't have to be taken in because when the real Messiah comes, it'll come in a way that is so unmistakable and everyone will see it. Jesus says, people will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That's how you know the correct Messiah. Right there. So don't be taken in by the others. All right, well, along with the external danger of deceivers, there's the external danger of haters. Haters. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. And verse 13, which is chilling, everyone will hate you because of me. Now, this is the reality for more Christians today than at any time in history, which is hard to take in, but it's true. I read about a pastor in India, uh, and I'm just going to read a little bit from the report because I thought it was well written. He leaves his house quietly and never in a group. He jumps on a small Honda motorbike, Bible tucked inside his jacket. He constantly checks his mirrors to make sure he's not tailed. Hindu extremists have warned Pastor Patil that they will kill him if they catch him preaching. So last year, he shut down the Living Hope Pentecostal Church, which he said used to have 400 members, and shifted to small, clandestine services, usually at night. One cold night this past winter, Pastor Patil drove to a secret prayer session in an unmarked farmhouse. He quickly stepped inside. On a dusty carpet that smelled like sheep, two dozen church members waited for him. When a dog barked outside, one woman whipped around and whispered, what's that? Pastor Patil reassured the woman that God was watching over. He cracked open his weathered Hindi language Bible and read, they will seize you and persecute you they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Now, to me, this is terrifying. But Jesus tells us how to survive even this. It's interesting. He says, don't worry about how you'll answer on trial. The Holy Spirit will give you every word you need. Don't worry about that ahead of time. And then he promises The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Just hang on to the end. Hang on to your faith. Well, those are the external dangers, the deceivers and haters. But interesting to me as I studied this, and I had never seen it in this passage, where Jesus concentrates more of his watchouts, more of his be on guards, is actually not on the external dangers you and I cannot control but on the internal dangers that we can control. And I began to think about this, and I have to say, over my years as a pastor, I've seen more Christians succumb to these internal dangers than I have to the external ones. It can happen so easily, so really imperceptibly. Verse 26, People will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, But verse 32, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And tells the one at the door, keep watch. Now, in this story, you and I are the servants. And here's our challenge. Jesus has given each of us what he calls an assigned task. Something to do in life for his sake. Here's your job. Here's your assignment. But we have no idea how long we have to keep doing it. And you know how travel goes. The boss might be held up. He may not get back till evening, which means we have to work past our usual shift. It could be even as late as midnight. Or worse, he doesn't come back till dawn, which means we have to pull an all-nighter, waiting. And in the middle of the night, any assigned task gets old. We get bored. We get worn down. We get tired out. We wonder, why do I have to do my dumb assigned task, when that other person has a much better one. And then we think, you know what, I'll just close my eyes for a minute. There's nothing going on. That's what Abdul Bashar thought. He was a security guard at the Freedom Tower, which is what stands where the World Trade Centers once stood. So it's considered a very prominent potential target for terrorism. So, he was stationed there one Friday night, an overnight shift, in the south lobby, and about 2.45 a.m. Saturday morning, actually, a Port Authority worker snapped a cell phone photo of Abdul Bashir, I've seen the photo, sitting in a chair leaning all the way back with sunglasses on, not moving. Okay, so, I love what Bashir said. He said, to my knowledge, actually, I was not sleeping. I was mistaken to be sleeping. I was exercising my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) The security guard company spokesman didn't see it that way. He said Basher was terminated on the spot after he was found sleeping on the job. So Jesus warns us, if the master comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. See, for most of us here in our current context, our biggest threat to our being ready for Christ, Jesus Christ's return is not becoming deceived, it's not being hated. And I know some of you face resistance in certain career tracks and so on, but it's becoming weary. It's becoming weary. We get weary of praying because it doesn't seem to work. We get weary of caring for a child or an aging parent because it's constant. We get weary of trying to stay pure because so many Christians don't bother with that. We get weary of helping other people when there's so much in our own life begging for attention. This is why scripture after scripture says, do not become weary in well-doing. Remember that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as many do. And it's just constantly saying, keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Stay at your task. Now I want you to reflect for a moment. What tasks has the master assigned me? for your own life, just as best you can tell. Now let me ask you, with those tasks, as best you know them from the Lord, are you wearing down? Are you tired? Are you tempted by the easier way of kind of falling asleep to those. The best thing you and I can do is just stay at our post, keep doing our assigned task, just show up, be faithful in the little. We'll be ready then, since we can't know the time. We'll be ready whenever that is. On Thursday morning at this Just two days ago at 2 a.m., our daughter Ann called to say, "Uh, I'm in labor. And we were like, "Uh, yeah, wait, that's six weeks early. (laughs) No, 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 but the baby was not supposed to come yet. They didn't have a car seat. We didn't have one. That nice hospital bag, bag for the hospital, was on her Christmas list. But babies come when they're ready. Not when we're ready. And so nine hours later, little Julianne Violet brought a whole new world uh, for our family. Which is a joy. And I yes, praise the Lord. I love that Jesus uses birth pangs as one of his analogies here when he's talking about all this. There is labor, there is pain, there is fear, and there is also a beautiful new world that will come with his appearing. Hang on, friends. The best is on the way.